Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme. We give you some insight behind how, when, where, and why each movie was made. And on top of that, at no charge to you, our loyal listener, you get a full review of the movie from me, Bo Ransdell, and my pal, Chad Cooper. This is season five, if you can believe that. And this is episode one of our new season, The Old Men and DC. And I will never tire of saying that. First up in our superhero extravaganza, 1984's Supergirl. Yeah, that was a real movie, but you don't have to take it from me. Here is my good friend Chad Cooper to tell you all about Supergirl. Supergirl is Kara Zorel, or as she is known by some, the cousin of Superman, or as his parents called him, Kal-El. And Supergirl, once upon a time, long before she was lighting up the television screen on the CW and, well, for one season over on CBS, well, Supergirl was featured in her very own major motion picture. But you know what? Before I can tell you that story, I need to tell you this story. Let's have a quick recap on Superman. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joel Shuster. Superman first appeared in Action Comics number 1, 1938. Born on planet Krypton, sent to Earth in a small spaceship by his super smart scientist biological father Jor-El just before the home planet Krypton explodes. Baby Kal-El's ship lands in Middle America where he is found and adopted by Ma and Pa Kent and they name him Clark Kent. Turns out Clark Kent is super strong and super fast and impervious to conventional weaponry. Clark decides to use his superpowers to fight crime and with a splash of showmanship he changes into a red, blue, and yellow costume to fight bad guys as Superman proper. Clark Kent lives in Metropolis where he works as a reporter for the Daily Planet. He's got a serious case of the hubba hubbas for his co-worker journalist friend Lois Lane. And his arch enemy is the brilliant and bald mega rich inventor Lex Luthor. In a nutshell. And there's a lot of history behind Superman, most notably the legal battles surrounding Siegel and Schuster's working to gain the rights to their creation. There's the controversial suicide death of George Reeves, who played Superman on TV. But for the sake of this episode, we're going to dive into the troubled tale of how Superman's leap to the big screen eventually opened the door for his cousin Supergirl to follow in stride. The character of Superman appeared in some early black and white movie serials, and George Reeves appeared as Superman in a 58-minute film that served as the genesis point for the successful television show The Adventures of Superman. However, the story of truly bringing Superman to the big screen begins with Alexander Salkind. Salkind was born in Germany to Russian parents. Salkind's family eventually moved to France where his father found work as a movie producer. Following in his father's footsteps, Alexander Salkind found success producing movies and began working with the likes of Orson Welles on his interpretation of Franz Kafka's The Trial, among many other films. Alexander Salkind had a son named Ela Salkind who would be the third generation movie producer in the family. This father and son duo oversaw 1973's The Three Musketeers. It was reported that Salkind took leftover footage from that movie and made a sequel, 1974's The Four Musketeers, Milady's Revenge. The act of what one might call creative, resourceful movie making prompted the Screen Actors Guild to introduce what was known as the Salkind Clause, which said filmmakers can't split one movie into two movies without contractual permission from the actors and other people working on it. On the heels of the Musketeer films, Ela talked his father into buying the film rights to Superman. They hired Godfather scribe Mario Puzo to bang out a massive two-film script, so lessons learned from the Musketeer debacle. 
The Salkinds reportedly tried to get a promising young director named Steven Spielberg to direct their version of Superman, but Spielberg went over budget on a little movie called Jaws, and Alexander Salkind said no way to this guy's involvement. The Salkinds had a script and needed to get their movie into production, and they were in a pinch for a director. So they reached out to Richard Donner, who was riding high on his success with 1976's The Omen. In an article from The Hollywood Reporter, Donner recounted his first contact by saying he was sitting on the toilet when the phone rang, and Alexander Salkind introduced himself by asking Donner, Do you know who I am? Donner, unsurprisingly, said he'd never heard of him. Salkine told Donner he was months away from shooting Superman, but he had lost his original director, Guy Hamilton, who had directed Goldfinger. Salkine explained that he had Marlon Brando signed on as Superman's dad, Jor-El, for a cool $4 million, and, and Gene Hackman would play the bad guy Lex Luthor for $2 million. They had a 500-page script, good God, in place, which covered two movies to be shot back to back. Donner asked if he could see the script, and within an hour, a delivery driver was at his front door with, quote, this script that was so thick, you'd get a hernia from lifting it, end quote. Donner said that the package also included a Superman costume as well. Donner read the script and said that on top of the extreme length, it was indulgent, heavy, and had no point of view. On top of that, it treated the comic books with disrespect. It was disparaging and filled with gratuitous action. Donner recounted that at one point in the original script, Superman flies around Metropolis looking for Lex Luthor and taps a bald guy on the shoulder, and it turns out to be Telly Savalas, TV's Kojak, who would hand Superman a lollipop and say, Who loves you, baby? Donner said, I was brought up on Superman as a kid. There was a whole point in my life where I read Superman. So when I finished it, I was like, man, if they make this movie, they are destroying the legend of Superman. I wanted to do it just to defend him. After reading the script, Donner got high, called his friend Tom Mankiewicz, and asked him to come over. Mankiewicz arrived at Donner's house to find Donner now wearing the Superman costume and running out to greet his friend. One presumes, still very, very high. It was here that Donner went on to share his feelings on what he wanted to do with the Superman movie. Donner said it came down to two things. One, it needs to be a love story. And two, we need to make people believe that a man can fly. Mankiewicz read the script and called Donner back later and said, there's a lot that we can do with this. Donner then flew to Paris to meet with Alexander Salkine, who at the time lived in a hotel. Donner told Salkine that the script needed a major rewrite. Salkine strongly disagreed and said the script was perfect. Donner promptly thanked him for the trip to Paris and politely declined the offer to direct. Salkine immediately became much more open to the idea of a rewrite. And then the budget and money arguments began. This led to more threats of walking out on Donner's part. Finally, everybody got on the same page, at least for a little while. Donner and Mankiewicz were on a plane to London to begin filming, and the next day they drove out to Pinewood Studios, where they had all of the Superman offices set up, and they met with the production team that had laid out all of their pre-production work, which Donner recounted as being terrible, because the Salkinds were more concerned with cost over quality. Donner threw out everything and had Tom Mankiewicz by his side in London during every step of the way. When it came to casting Superman, many big names were considered. The list included Sylvester Stallone, Warren Beatty, John Voight, Neil Diamond, Burt Reynolds, Chris Christopherson, Nick Nolte, Redford, Pacino, Schwarzenegger. Everybody was considered. But it was Christopher Reeve who ultimately landed the title role of Superman. Donner said of his first encounter with Reeve that he was skinny with blonde hair, but after seeing Reeve, a Juilliard-trained actor, in a stage play where he played two separate roles, a son and a grandfather, he decided to hire Reeve just on faith. 
Reeve told his father, who was a professor at Princeton, that he was doing Superman. Reeve's father thought he was referring to George Bernard Shaw's Man and Superman. Reeve's theatrical training enabled him to pull off the complexity of being Clark Kent and the heroic Superman at the same time. Donner said of Reeve, he really got the idea of a terribly pained individual living a dual life. Margot Kidder was cast as Lois Lane based on Donner seeing her work in a TV series called Nicholas. Ned Beatty was brought in as the bumbling sidekick Otis to Lex Luthor, who was being played by Gene Hackman. Hackman was cast as the iconic bald-headed bad guy on the heels of his success in The French Connection and its sequel, along with The Poseidon Adventure. And most notably, Marlon Brando was brought in to play Jor-El. Brando signed on to play Superman's dad for a base salary of $3.7 million. Plus, he was to get 11.75% of the movie's profits. Gulp. <laughs> Brando initially didn't want to actually appear in the movie, but proposed that he would do voiceover work with his character appearing as a talking suitcase or a sentient glowing green bagel. <laughs> Donner somehow passed on these two brilliant suggestions and got Brando to actually appear in the movie, but Brando refused to learn any of his lines and relied on cue cards for the entire filming of his scenes. In the end, Brando ended up getting roughly $19 million for two weeks worth of work, producing about 12 minutes of total screen time. For eight months, pre-production ran Test of a Man Flying, trying to get it just right. And it was Zorn Perisky who invented a relatively lightweight front projection that had a zoom on the projector and on the lens that was photographing the actor's movements. Donner saw the end results and said of it, this is fucking great. Donner went to Salkine, who refused to pay the $25,000 to finish developing the final filming of the flying sequences. And it was Warner Brothers that ended up providing the additional funding. Donner said, the day that we saw him fly for the first time, it was dead silence. A couple of guys that ran the flying unit were crying because it was that good. As Superman was conceived and written, it was to be two films made simultaneously. The team working on the first half, or as we call it, Superman, ran into an issue that they had no ending for their movie. So, they moved the ending of Superman 2 up to be the climax of Superman, and they figured out they would fill that hole of the sequel at a later date. All the while, the relationship between Donner and the Salkinds continued to be strained over budgetary concerns. Donner did not know what the budget was and therefore claimed to be ignorant of when they were going over budget. Donner would authorize something and the Salkinds would arbitrarily cancel it. Ultimately, as Donner would describe it, is a situation where it was us against them. And as Donner saw it, the Salkinds were against the quality of the movie. Once the movie was finished, the Salkinds refused to release the print for early screening. It wasn't until the movie was actually released that Donner saw the film for the first time with an audience. And they loved it. It was a massive success. After the release of Superman, Donner was about to go to London to film what little work remained on Superman 2. Just prior to his departure, Donner's agent called and said he received a telegram from the Salkinds stating that Donner was no longer needed to complete work on Superman 2. Richard Lester, who directed the Beatles motion picture A Hard Day's Night and Help, he was also the director of the Salkinds film The Three Musketeers, was brought in to complete Superman 2. Donner had worked on the majority of the film, but a lot of it was scrapped when Lester took over behind the camera. Marlon Brando ended up suing the Salkinds because he didn't get his percentage of Superman box office success. The Salkinds sued Christopher Reeves because he took another job working on another film while Superman 2 production was put on hold. 
Gene Hackman refused to return for reshoots on Superman 2, and so a bald stand-in and impersonator looped Lex Luthor's lines. It should be noted that Richard Donner's footage was ultimately stitched together in a movie called Superman 2, The Richard Donner Cut, for diehard fans that want to see a cobbled-together, semi-formed, Donner-esque vision of Superman 2. Lester did complete Superman 2, which was successful enough that Lester agreed to direct a third installment of the series, 1983's Superman 3. For this movie, it was Ela Salkine who wrote the first pass, and it would be a more comedic movie that would introduce iconic villains such as Brainiac and Mr. Mixelplick, as well as Supergirl. This movie had at its core a father-daughter relationship between Brainiac and Supergirl, and more disturbingly, a romantic storyline between Superman and Supergirl, who are, as noted earlier, first cousins. In this proposed script, Brainiac would find Supergirl, Kara Zor-El, the same way that Pa and Ma Kent discovered Kal-El. Brainiac and Mixelplick would end up doing battle with Superman. Brainiac discovers that Kara had romantic feelings for Superman. And in the finale, Kara saves Kal-El and the two team up as Superman and Supergirl against Brainiac and Mixelplick. Warner Brothers, who still had a say in how Superman was portrayed on the big screen, said thanks, but no thanks, and instead opted for a screenplay where Superman did battle with a millionaire business magnate who discovers a way to make kryptonite that generates Superman's evil twin for a climactic showdown and it also had a self-taught computer genius as a comedic sidekick played by legendary stand-up comedian Richard Pryor. Reportedly, Richard Pryor appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and told a story about seeing the original Superman movie and how much he enjoyed it. The Salkinds heard about this and not only offered him a part, but agreed to design the entire script around him. Pryor at this time was coming off the successful comedy Stir Crazy alongside Gene Wilder and The Toy, where he shared screen time with comedic legend Jackie Gleason. So it made absolute sense to put Richard Pryor in a Superman movie. And by absolute sense, I mean no sense at all. In Pryor's autobiography, Pryor Convictions and Other Life Sentences, he admitted that he didn't like the script for Superman 3 and only did it for the money. No real surprise there. Superman 3 was successful enough, but audiences didn't care for the introduction of Pryor, nor were they too happy about the good Superman versus bad Superman storyline, where it should be noted that Superman, in his iconic spandex, goes on an alcoholic bender and sports a real nice 5 o'clock shadow. With Superman 3 driving that franchise into a ditch, the Salkinds decided to make a spin-off of the Superman universe, which brings us back to where we started, the subject of this episode, 1984's Supergirl. The Salkinds tried to get Richard Lester to take the director's chair for a third time, but he said no. They approached Robert Wise, who had directed West Side Story, The Sound of Music, and 1979 Star Trek The Motion Picture, but he said no. So the Salkinds finally landed Jeannot Zwart, who directed Christopher Reeve in the time travel film Somewhere in Time, as well as Jaws 2, because there is truly no business like show business. To play the lead role of Supergirl, hundreds of actresses auditioned and did screen test. Demi Moore, Brooke Shields, who was reportedly the Salkind's first choice, but Zwark wanted an unknown actress to don the cape and instead signed Helen Slater. Helen Slater had only one acting credit to her name when she was cast in Supergirl, which was a 1982 ABC after-school special, Amy and the Angel, a clear ripoff of It's a Wonderful Life, where Slater played the title character Amy and appeared alongside James Earl Jones, Meg Ryan, and Matthew Modine. With a relatively unknown actress in the title role, the movie really follows the same recipe that they used for the original Superman. Get some really big legendary Hollywood actors playing supporting cast, get an A-list composer to do the music, toss in a few action set pieces, and you got a hit on your hands. 
The role of the movie's villain, Selena, was initially offered to Dolly Parton, who turned it down only to be picked up by Faye Dunaway. Dunaway had worked with the Salkinds on The Three Musketeers and The Litigious Four Musketeers, Milady's Revenge, where she played the role of Milady. Dunaway, who previously had received three Oscar nominations and won an Academy Award for her work in Network in 1977, Two years prior to Supergirl coming out, Dunaway delivered one of her most iconic performances as Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. In Supergirl, Dunaway plays Selina, a power-hungry witch trying to break things off with a warlock named Nigel, played by Peter Cook. Cook had worked extensively with Dudley Moore as a comedy duo over many years, and only one year later, Moore would don an elf costume in the Salkine-produced Santa Claus the Movie. Peter O'Toole shows up to fill the Marlon Brando-esque space in this movie, O'Toole at the time had been nominated for seven Best Actor Academy Awards for his role in such films as Lawrence of Arabia and The Lion in Winter. Peter O'Toole was a real deal actor's actor. Mia Farrow shows up for some unknown reason to get a paycheck. And for a thread of continuity, Mark McClure shows up as crack photographer Jimmy Olsen, a role he played in Superman in Superman 2. He would go on to reprise this role in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. However, for me, he will always be Marty McFly's older brother who works at Burger King and later on becomes a respectable businessman due to his brother's time-traveling adventures. The Salkinds finance Supergirl completely on their own budget, but their entire film was shot, edited, and overseen under the supervision of Warner Brothers. The studio wanted to open it over the 4th of July weekend in 1984, but the Salkinds insisted on releasing it during the end-of-year holiday season. Supergirl opened over the Thanksgiving weekend as the number one movie, bringing in $5.7 million. The movie beat out the Vietnam War rescue adventure Missing in Action, James Cameron's The Terminator in its fifth week of release, George Burns and George Burns in Oh God, You Devil. Quick note, A Nightmare on Elm Street fell in the number 10 spot in its third week of release, raking in $1.7 million, and Ghostbusters pulled in just shy of a million bucks that week in its 25th week of theatrical release. Ghostbusters was in theaters for six months. That is insane. But let's get back to Supergirl. Helen Slater's performance was mostly well-received, and she was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Actress. On the flip side, Peter O'Toole and Faye Dunaway's performances both received Golden Raspberry Awards as Worst Actor and Worst Actress, respectively. It should be noted that Christopher Reeve was supposed to be in Supergirl with a brief appearance as Superman, but Reeve opted out because, well, he just said no thank you. Superman's glaring absence in the film is dismissed when a newscaster says that Superman is on a peace-seeking mission in some distant galaxy. The film's director's work said in the documentary film You Will Believe that having Reeve in the film would have provided more credibility to the movie. The best that they could do was getting a photo of him as Superman, which appears in Lucy Lane's dorm room. Did I mention that Supergirl ends up going to an all-girls school and her roommate is Lois Lane's little sister? No? We have so much to talk about when Bo gets here. Despite Supergirl claiming the number one spot at the box office on its opening weekend, two weeks later it dropped to seventh place when Eddie Murphy's action cop comedy Beverly Hills Cop destroyed all competition. By Supergirl's fifth week in release, the film fell to 17th place, right below Ghostbusters, which was celebrating its 30th week anniversary in theaters. Unbelievable. The poor performance of Supergirl and the Salkind's next cinematic catastrophe, Santa Claus the Movie, were the major factors that ultimately led to the Salkind selling the Superman franchise rights to Canon Films. Canon Films proceeded to deliver Superman 4: The Quest for Peace, 
which was so bad many consider this to be the true death of Superman film going experience. Alexander Salkind would return to produce the television show Superboy, which ran from 1988 to 1992, and not surprisingly was bogged down with controversy and of course, many, many lawsuits. The original Supergirl, Helen Slater, went on to star in The Legend of Billie Jean and appeared alongside Michael J. Fox in The Secret of My Success and had a small role in Billy Crystal's midlife crisis cattle wrestling comedy City Slickers. Slater has a lengthy resume of film and television work, including a recurring role as Clark Kent's biological mother, Laura, on the TV series Smallville and as Supergirl's adoptive mother in the TV series Supergirl. But what about the movie Supergirl? Can a film derived from a legacy of troubled film production create anything redeemable? Is witchcraft a match for a superhero from Krypton? Can two self-proclaimed cougars that live in an abandoned amusement park achieve their dreams of enslaving a shirtless landscaper while still attaining world domination? Well, let's find out. Ladies and gentlemen, Kalels and Kara Zorels, I give you 1984's Supergirl. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, along with my ever-present, ever-lovely, ever-powerful co-host, Bo Ransdell. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good, Bo. It's a new year. It's a new theme. We're ready to go. And let's make it happen. I'm very excited about this. Uh, as I, I mentioned in the cliffhanger season finale, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, this is kind of up my alley a little bit. Although I was always more of a Marvel Comics kid. I, I like the, the Spider-Man, the Hulk, and stuff like that. Not so much Superman. Although Batman gets a pass, I think, with everybody. Even if you don't like comic books, you're like, eh, Batman's pretty cool. So I didn't know a lot about Supergirl, it's weird to dig into this mythology because after watching the movie, I was like, well, that can't possibly be the real origin of the character. And of course it's not. Not at all. But I think what's important about this particular film, and I tried to capture this in the opening, is really how Superman as a movie, specifically the Christopher Reeve Superman films, were an iconic moment in cinema history. Superman was huge. Yeah. Growing up in that era, it was one of the biggest things imaginable. Even when Superman aired on, I believe it was ABC, they took Superman the movie and turned it into a two-night epic event. It aired on Sunday night and Monday night as a two-part experience. <laughs> I forgot about that. And better yet was the moment that they cut the movie in half was the scene where the helicopter falls off the top of the Daily Planet and Superman soars up to catch it. That was the cliffhanger that they created for television audiences that didn't, you know, spend their $2.50 or whatever to go see the film in theaters. Superman was as big as it gets in the 1970s, 80s era of motion pictures. It was incredible, and it was a great movie, too. I felt like you were a little harsh with Superman 2 in the intro, to be fair. I felt like it was a little maligned, because I think Superman 2 is a perfectly good sequel to Superman, and has some fun shit in it, for sure. It does, but understanding the underpinning that propped that movie up, you can see how there are fissures in that film, and why it isn't as coalesced as much as the first film was. I didn't talk about Glenn Ford in 
in the first Superman in the introduction. There were so many great elements in that first movie that just feel like this warm blanket of Americana. It's Superman. And it's just, it's so well done. And then at that point, the wheels fall off and just from Superman to Superman 2 to Superman 3 to Supergirl to Superman 4, you can just see the de-evolution of this franchise and how it just fell apart from one film to the, the next. And became utter garbage. Yes. Here's the question that really faces us tonight. Is Supergirl worse than Superman 4? No, it's not. You're, you know, mm. I don't know, man. I thought you were going to say, is Supergirl worse than Superman 3? Because I would love to put those two in the ring and let them battle it out. I don't know. Maybe it's because I saw Superman 4 so many times as a kid that I have this weird soft spot for it. I'm not arguing that it is a good film. It's just when you see Supergirl as a grown man like I did, you're immediately like, oh my God, this is just atrocious. <laughs> So let's jump into it. The opening of this movie certainly feels like a Superman movie, but more in a parody kind of way. Because everything is stylistically like the Richard Donner Superman opening with the John Williams score, but it's not. Yeah, because it's Jerry Goldsmith, and it feels really lifeless, and it does feel like a knockoff. Like you're watching like the Chinese Superman movie. <laughs> but Jerry Goldsmith, he was no slouch. At this point, he had composed the music for Alien, Poltergeist, yeah. Gremlins. He was a legit composer, but it's not John Williams. No, you're you're inching more into Henry Mancini territory with Jerry Goldsmith than you are John Williams. But even the way that it's set up, the font choice, the mm -hmm. music, it all says this is going to be like Superman, only a little worse. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the name Brenda Vaccaro and you got to stop for like two and a half minutes. Like who, who is Brenda Vaccaro again? Was she, who was she? Was she on solid gold? This movie is two hours plus. Does it really need a three minute opening credit sequence? No. And while we're at it, let's go. Uh, we'll get to it. But let's trim up these flying sequences by a couple of stock footage clips. That goes on a little too long as well. The movie starts proper inside this large, white, crystal honeycomb of an environment. It looks like an inside-out cruise ship mashed up with the ever-present stark whiteness of the WonkaVision broadcasting room. And everyone is walking around all barefoot, and they're wearing futuristic hippie tie-dye clothes. It's very communal in the way that it's set up. It, it looks like the 1970s never died. It's here we meet Kara, who later becomes Supergirl, who later becomes Linda Lee. And we also meet Zoltar, who's played by Peter O'Toole. He is doing some 1980s pre-3D printing from this glowing amber wand. And he tells uh, Kara, a.k.a. Supergirl, that he's making a tree which you find on planet Earth. And Kara says, you mean where my cousin went? You know, Superman? Yeah, how the fuck do they know? <laughs> Clark sending Christmas cards like it's been quite a year here on Earth. Hope you're enjoying your <laughs> glass city or whatever. Zaltar says that he might someday go there in his whiz banger through his tip zoodler. He has this weird flying device that looks like a souped up colored version of the star that took naked baby Superman to Earth. <laughs> yeah. 
My question was, did everybody on Krypton die? That was my understanding, because who are these people? Because I looked it up, Chad. Here's what happened. Thank you, because I didn't. Argo City, in the in the comics at least, it was blown free of Krypton. And they had this shield around Argo City itself. And there was some problem where like some rocks beneath them were turning into kryptonite. So they had to build a lead floor to the thing. It's a whole story about Argo City's journey through space. And in this movie, none of that happens. And then when the end comes around, you're like... What the? None of this makes any sense, but that's kind of the theme of tonight's film, is that don't get too caught up in the details because don't worry about it. When Peter O'Toole is Peter O'Tooling around, which, look, you put Peter O'Toole in a scene and I'm paying attention. I don't care. He is a delight. So after he shows off his spaceship, which, much like the credits, is like, hey, that looks like Superman, only not as good. <laughs> he also has another thing to show off, because after he builds this, like, spun glass tree or whatever, <laughs> he's like... <laughs> He's like, Kara, look at this spinny thing. I stole it. Go on, touch it. And she's like, what is it? He's like, it's the Omega Hydrin. Press it hard with your fingers, Kara. Give it a try. Let your imagination explode. Go on. You know you want to, Kara. Rub it on your body if that's what you choose. It's real uncomfortable. Everything about her character is kind of gross to one degree or another in this movie. How old is Kara here? Because it's important to get at least some sort of age impression on her. Throughout the entire movie, there are multiple moments where you're just like, how old is she? Is she 12? Is she 15? Is she 22? Because depending upon that age level is going to really help us rack up the felony count of her interactions going forward. Yeah, there's a certain groundskeeper that I got a lot of questions for. <laughs> you and the authorities, man. Both state... <laughs> local and federal yeah you need to tell me which side of the quinceanera she's on toot sweet uh, <laughs> i also like in this conversation with peter o'toole where she's like how do you do that and he's like six dimensional geometry or something and <laughs> <laughs> and she's like oh i'm not good at that and he's like don't worry you're a girl it's math. <laughs> going, whoa, easy, Zaltar. That is your real name. Kara takes the magic wand and she goes over and sits down on the floor with her legs spread at a very wide angle, the way a small child would sit. And Kara, using this magic amber wand, she begins to 3D print. I think it's like a giant dragonfly or maybe the world's worst mosquito. <laughs> sure, a horrifying monstrosity, yes. <laughs> Go on. Her, her mother, played by Mia Farrow, comes over and she's like, hey, what's going on? When does my check clear? And uh, she and Zaltar babble about how, like, here's what's going on in Argo City. Who cares? Who cares? And then he says, hey, I took the city's power supply, the Omega Hedron. She's like, wait, what? And he then he takes the Omega Hedron and he puts it under his foot and he kicks it over to Kara 
And then she takes the city's power supply, which makes this dragonfly mosquito monstrosity come to life. And it rips through the wax paper walls that are protecting the city. And it creates this huge vacuum that starts to suck everything out of the city through this hole. So the dragonfly goes out through the hole in the wall. Carl must get sucked out. Zotar comes over and he saves her. But the Omegahedron is gone. And without it, the city will have no power. They will lose their ability to breathe much like we saw in the movie Total Recall. However, it is a much less dramatic fashion because it's never addressed again and who cares? In fairness, at the end of the movie, Supergirl is like, oh, right, Argo City. (laughs) But yeah, it it don't matter that much at the end of the day. If we're done there, the big crux of this scene (laughs) is that after... A bug takes down this entire city. Seems like poor planning from a design point of view. In space, you're in space. There are little meteorites and shit all over the place. And a bug takes you down. Anyway, Kara decides she's going to steal the shitty Superman spaceship. She jumps inside this whiz bangler and she blasts off through the Tom Waitzler. And Zoltar explains to her mom and dad, who shows up for a moment, that this is a pathway from inner space to outer space. Yeah. What? And then Zoltar condemns himself to the Phantom Zone, where his punishment will be that he has to be there forever, whereas the citizens of this city will only suffer for a few days and then they're just going to die. Uh-huh. How is that a punishment? I have to live here forever, whereas you all are going to be dead in 48 hours. I'll bear this cross. It's one of those things where once he proposes it, you expect him to kind of lift his eyebrows like, are they buying it? (laughs) You should send me to the Phantom Zone. I've been naughty. The Phantom Zone? Well, where is that located? It's over there in that briar patch. (laughs) I was going to say, it's in Lives Foreversville. (laughs) You won't know the place, sadly. You'll be dead in 48 hours, but I will suffer forever and ever and ever until I find a way out of this mess. And then wait, wait, oh, I've said too much. I've said too much. I've heard they have liquor in the Phantom Zone in the form of squirts. It's a combination of Jack Daniels, heroin, and unicorn piss. It's quite a rush. (laughs) We cut back and we see Kara flying through this tunnel from Willy Wonka and the Great Glass Elevator. She's just zipping along. And then we cut to Earth, where we meet Selena, our villain, who's played by Faye Dunaway. And she is being served champagne by Nigel, her lackey boyfriend we don't know at this point and they're sitting in i guess a park somewhere you might think it's central park but it's not it's somewhere in chicago and they're on this tiger skin rug complete with an attached taxidermied head and selena says she wants to take over the world and nigel says that he can make her invisible and then he spouts off a bunch of incantation nonsense about sticking beans in a dead man's head and then selena says 
How long have we known each other, Nigel? A couple of months? And all of this is really confusing because later we find out that Nigel is a math teacher at an all-girls school. You're just like, who are these people? What are they doing? They're just laying about in the park, getting drunk in the middle of the day, which, let's be honest, that sounds fantastic. But it doesn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense as it relates to a Supergirl movie. It's like we suddenly cut to Jim Jarmusch's The Only Lovers Left Alive. You should see it if you haven't. It's great. Um, (laughs) It really is this kind of creepy relationship because you don't know what to make of it at first. And Peter Cook just has the most British mouth that ever came along. And that's real distracting in this scene as well. I think these two look like a couple of LARPers that are just staying in character after all of their buddies have had back to their mom's basements for the day also i when i look at peter cook i want him to be funny and he's not funny in this movie at all when i look at peter cook all i think is marriage love to love uh yeah he's no he's terrifically funny like some of that old uh dudley moore a a returning character on uh pick six movies when he used to do not only but also with dudley moore and peter cook some of those sketches were incredibly funny they were yeah really they were very very funny together he's not funny in this at all he's off no yeah he's just some wizard and it's like i don't understand what you know that she doesn't like i don't understand the hierarchy of any of this is he just her tutor i guess like you know she is the witch apprentice and dude this is faye dunaway this is like this is as good as it gets when it comes to an actress and you're watching this like what are you doing but at the same time watching her performance and i noted earlier that she got a raspberry award but i do think that in this movie she's having fun with the role it reminded me a lot of glenn close in 101 dalmatians playing corella deville she's just sort of wearing this wacky over-the-top witch character and i'm down with that it's just that sort of the the foundation upon which you're standing is rocky at best hollow at worst and it doesn't really have a whole lot of meat to it yeah you're right uh i i agree i think she's having fun at least and and is really over the top and i think she's kind of great the fact that we've introduced magic into the superman universe at this point Mm -hmm. because that hasn't really been a thing you know like you can argue well you know you're talking about a guy who can fly and he's impervious to bullets and all that stuff but there's kind of bullshit science underneath that of like well it's because he's from this different planet and blah 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 hey let me ask you a question who would win in a fight darth vader or dumbledore answer me that question okay i have this at the ready specifically for this moment In the Wikipedia article about (laughs) Supergirl, let me just give you the opening line of the biography. Kara Zor-El, here's where the parentheses start, (laughs) originally just Kara, semicolon Chad. Kryptonians, during the Golden Era, used a single name for most women and a two-syllable name for men, semicolon. Thus, the addition of the patronymic to the female name is a contemporary convention close parentheses is the (laughs) the last survivor of argo city which had survived the explosion of the planet krypton and drifted through space that is what i will sound like on each of these episodes at least once so who would who would win in a battle gandalf or batman anchor me that right 
Yeah, it's just, but it, it is weird to me that watching a Superman movie, it's like, oh, okay, all of a sudden there are wizards and dragons and shit. <laughs> all right. Again, don't worry about it. <laughs> so you're saying that Harry Potter could seriously beat Spider-Man in a one-on-one battle? <laughs> Please. Well, as soon as Spider-Man webbed up the wand, Harry Potter's useless. Spider-Man's native agility will knock him for a loop. Back to our other movie. Um, oh, yeah. So in Supergirl, this is, in my opinion, this is where the movie really begins to fall apart. Because <laughs> at this point, Selena and Nigel are getting drunk in the middle of the park. And then the Omega Hedron, the power orb that left whereversburg it goes blasting through the universe from inner space to outer space and then it splashes down in some cheese dip that these two are eating and then selena says i wonder as she picks it up and i really want her to finish that sentence i don't know what she's thinking happens when like a giant magical orb lands in her velveta melted mixture you wonder what right she just knows it's magic somehow I guess so. Hey, don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> Selena tells Nigel to fuck off and then she leaves with the Omega Edron. She drives off in her car and on her radio, we hear that Superman is off on this peacekeeping mission that scientists estimate Superman may be several hundred trillion light years from our own universe. And you know what? They made up that number. Also, sounds like a way better movie. Superman all fighting aliens on some galactic mission? Don't worry about that movie. We don't get that movie. We get this movie. Oh, that sounds so good, Chad. We cut back to Kara, who's now, for some unknown reason, decked out in full-on Supergirl costume outfit. She's in this magical flying orb from the Wonka Vader, and she's at the bottom of this lake, and she erupts out of this water. Her hair and clothes are both fully dry, and she lands on earth i don't understand was her home planet at the bottom of a lake the inner space to outer space was she out in the universe that's the whole gig is that argo city is in this lake the whole time apparently is it like whoville i think so because at the end of the movie she's like tom hanks and splash swimming towards the mermaid city it's i i think yeah i think it's been under our nose the whole time you know what i'm not gonna get hung up on the details let's just just keep going forward and don't worry about it Supergirl, because she's now wearing her full-on outfit, she picks up a rock and she crushes it in her hand, so she's really strong. Tee-hee. And then she picks up a flower, and with her botany vision, she zaps it and makes it bloom. When was this a thing? Here's the thing, Bo. All aliens can make flowers bloom. She did it. E.T. did it. Audrey 2 did it. Although Audrey mm. 2 was in and of itself its own plant so it made itself bloom but it still was an alien and was involved in the growth of some sort of plant-like creation yeah a mean green mother from outer space yes <laughs> along with the help of some rigging borrowed from a touring stage production of peter pan we realize that Kara can fly and she flip-flops around with her cape starched so tightly as to not let her undergarments brand her as anything but a lady sure then we get to see her flying across different landscapes across america 
is she in the United States or on Earth? Because these backgrounds could be Canada or New Zealand. Like, I was like, where are you? It's on a big screen. We got horses running. All of a sudden, there's an Eskimo. Who knows? Again, it's just like they bought all the (laughs) the B-roll of other movies that they could get their hands on. That was just like, just give me a landscape. That's all I need. Just any kind of landscape and we slap her right on top of it. But to answer that question, Nigel shows up and he looks in the air and he sees Serpil Girl flying about. So the question of where she is gets answered sort of? It's a real like what what you know like i spy with my little eye a super person she flies over some horses which she has never seen a human so arguably she could think that these are intelligent life forms capable of communicating and having complex views of mortality and social justice and the existence of oneself which the question i have for you Bo, is why isn't this movie more of a fish out of water story because it's not a real movie chad it's just a bunch of things that happen right and it's just and it's not very good they treat this character and this property like garbage they turn superman into batman 66 in this movie (laughs) where the the villains are incredibly campy there's a lot of wah wah there's a fucking love potion in this i mean (laughs) we'll get to it all but it, yeah, it's just from jump. It's just telling you every step of the way. Don't take any of this seriously because none <laughs> of us are. <laughs> we cut. Speaking of which, we cut back to Selena, who's arriving at her home, which is an abandoned amusement park. Oh, I love it, Chad. <laughs> it's here that we meet her middle-aged gal pal, Bianca, where the two are roommates that live in a haunted house attraction. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. There are lots of striped cat carcasses all over the place. And there is a bunch of shelved assortment of colored bottles. It basically looks like the basement of 1313 Mockingbird Lane. That's where the monsters lived. Uh Uh-huh. All I need to know is if I can get internet there and I'm making an offer. I like the fact that she has her own Otis because this movie is just super manning it up whenever they possibly can. Everything about this just feels like not even a watered down Superman. It's just, it's like completely (laughs) diluted to the point to where if you give it a really good sniff, you're like, I think I smell Superman in there. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's like you ordered the coffee. With a double shot of Superman, you're like, I can barely taste this Superman. I don't think, I don't think gave, they gave me the syrup at all. They were probably out and just didn't want to tell me. Selena places the Omega Hedron in this pint-sized holder that looks like a little demon statue. It's important that it's a little because it gets bigger later. Um, Bianca, her gal pal, comes in and says, hey, they cut off the hot water and the only way that we're going to be able to pay next month's bills is if we start our own coven. Yeah, the way she says it, it took me back to American movie. <laughs> The way she says it took me back to college. Look, I've had some hard times where I've had a been in a pinch and I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent, like maybe selling plasma, pawning my valuables. But I never at any point in my life to make ends meet said, hey, we should start a coven. Eh, you know, some of us had more fun in college. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what is the relationship between Selena and Bianca? Are they just buddies? What was your take on that? Look, I don't think Selena has any gainful employment. <laughs> I think Bianca, you know, I think it's a real codependent relationship. I think Bianca kind of needs her because she's a little lonely and Selena needs Bianca because...
because she needs a lackey and uh and you know they're both witches so that works out i guess because bianca know. does say she wants to start a, a a coven also does she ever do magic in this movie at any point she smokes a lot she does and she drives around the lady who does magic i guess that's close <laughs> It's so weird. And like Selena is just like, we don't have to worry about money anymore. And she's like, well, what's that? And she's like, I'm not telling you. <laughs> you're like, wow. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a real good plan when somebody's like, hey, they turned off the hot water. I'm not sure how that works. I think that's just the electricity, right? Or the gas. We cut to Supergirl and she's flying into Chicago, which we're like, okay, <laughs> that's where our movie's taking place, right? Because there's the Sears Tower, as it was called back in the day. She lands in this bad part of town and is immediately the victim of an attempted rape by some random asshole and Matt Frewer, a.k.a. Max Headroom, a.k.a. the dad from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that isn't Rick Moranis. I love Matt Frewer. And seeing I, yes. him as a rapist really put a bad taste in my mouth. Have you never seen the Stand miniseries where he's the the firebug? I have. I just blocked it out. I think when I think of Matt Frewer, I'm like, I really enjoyed the sitcom Doctor Doctor. Oh, that was a good sitcom. <laughs> Yeah. When you see him, yes, all you can think of is other good stuff he's been in. It's like thinking about Rodney Dangerfield in Natural Born Killers. You're just like, I love Rodney Dangerfield. And in that movie, you're just like, oh my God, what are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> right. You're, you're ruining everything I think about you. <laughs> Except in the case of Matt Frewer in this film, he did this first. So you're only disappointed in retrospect. <laughs> at this point supergirl uses her super breath to blast away matt freer and then the other guy who's this nameless asshole she kicks him in the dick really hard and knocks him across the way which if supergirl kicks you in the dick your cock is in your throat right yeah it's broken forever chad you're never <laughs> <laughs> there's no coming back from that no and when someone asks you like you're forever gonna have that conversation with everyone you ever date because presumably he's unmarried in this scene um of like hey i can never have children because supergirl kicked me right in the junk i'm thinking everyone you ever talked to where you're like hey i'll be back in a minute i gotta go piss and then you come back like an hour and 17 minutes later like where have you been like oh I i've never told you this but supergirl once kicked me in the dick so hard when i pee it's a real procedure <laughs> yeah i got a real <laughs> i got a real pancake situation <laughs> <laughs> i think it broke you here <laughs> yeah sorry uh that hit me just right <laughs> <laughs> we cut back to Matt Frewer, and he is wearing an A&W root beer t-shirt, which A&W shows up a few times in this movie with some classy Superman-level product placement. And I gotta be honest, I don't think Mr. Roy Allen and Mr. Frank Wright would have approved of an attempted rapist wearing a logo of their fine rooted beer in this motion picture. <laughs> I said, good day. I like that the main creep in this scene, the one who's not Matt Frewer, when Supergirl is like, why? Why are you being such an asshole? And he actually just says like, well, that's the way I am. He's just a rapist because he's a rapist. I just, I just love to rape. 
<laughs> my grandpappy was a rapist. My daddy was a rapist. And I'm a rapist. It's what we do. And she's also told this idiot, by the way, I'm Superman's cousin. <laughs> He's like, perfect. Just what I love, raping a superhero. Do they think that they can give it to Superman's lady counterpart? Right, like, how stupid are they? After he, after uh, she blows Matt Frewer through a fence or whatever. Well, hold on, hold on. You need to rephrase that. <laughs> Fair enough. After uh, she glory holes Matt Frewer. Again, you need to really, you, need, you huh. need to choose your words carefully. I thought that was clear. Um, She needs to... Wrap her lip. No, no, no. After, after she deposits Matt Frewer <laughs> through the fence. You know what? With her mouth. <laughs> you know that's as good as it's gonna get. All right, just continue. Why wouldn't the other guy just turn tail and run anyway? Of like, holy shit! At best, she just blows me through a fence <laughs> again. You really need to choose your words carefully, Bo. Yeah, well, I think I've, I I meant what I said there. And I like the fact that, like, after all of this, the creep just pulls a knife on her. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing, man? And sure enough, she kicks him right in the dick over a fence. <laughs> and he was asking for it every step of the way. So after she makes quick work of these two rapists, we cut back to the abandoned amusement park where Selena, our villain, and Bianca, her sidekick, they are throwing a party with a bunch of middle-aged weirdos. Yeah. Paul Paul Schaefer uh, serving drinks. My description is a low-rent Stanley Tucci shows up riding a train to <laughs> hand out brightly colored drinks. <laughs> you know, six of one. There's a woman dressed up like Pocahontas. Um, Selena, our villain, is dressed in this garb that looks like a dream catcher had sex with a Japanese kimono. There's a guy in a red plaid jacket with his shirt unbuttoned down to his dick. There's a woman with crazy oversized glasses. This whole scene looks like either the greatest New Year's Eve party you've ever been to or the worst New Year's Eve party you've ever been to. Yeah, apparently Gomez and Morticia Adams <laughs> lost their invitation. Is this their coven to pay the rent? I suppose. Like, I don't... These people are, are grade A weirdos. <laughs> Nigel shows up asking Selena about the mystery orb that fell into their cheese dip. Like everyone else who's there, he's just as, as weird. And Selena says that all of these people are her army of the night and she is wanting nothing less than world domination. What? Uh, I mean, at least we know. Like, I mean, that's as we're not going to get backstories on anybody here. We're not going to get motivations. Don't worry about none of that. At least she's a character who's like, well, this is what I want. Yeah, but this is from a woman who is squatting in a rundown spook house on the edge of town. Yeah. This is what it's like if you are a character three weeks before the mystery machine rolls up to rain on your parade. Or the Frank Gorshin Riddler. You know, I mean, again, that's the, the, the field we're playing on here is that, like you said, we got a squatter threatening to take over the world. Nigel tells Selena that he has a secret and it's red and blue and it knows how to fly. And then Selena says, I have a secret and that she has the power. And they're just talking in this cryptic language. None of it makes any damn sense across the board. And then Selena sticks out her index finger and lights Nigel's cigarette. And then Nigel won 
ups her and shows Selena a demon in the reflection of his cigarette case. And it looks like one of those demon dogs from Ghostbusters, which reminds me, Bo, Ghostbusters is showing in the theater next door. I know it came out six months ago, but it is really good and people are still going to see it. <laughs> that is one of the least surprising things in your intro because i know i personally <laughs> saw ghostbusters at least three times in the theater because it never left it was just the there were some days it was like that's the only thing that's playing and i want to go to a movie and the choices are ghostbusters or ghostbusters <laughs> Selena one-ups Nigel and makes one of the female party attendees' snack turn into a scorpion, which the attendee eats and then she faints. Selena then takes the female party goer and turns her upside down and spins her around. People at the party are not blown away by all this because the scene at the party is, again, basically pretty freaky. And then Selena <laughs> kicks Nigel out and says, hey, don't come back. I've basically broken up with you. I guess they were dating maybe yeah breaking up's hard to do man i who could know i don't know i mean were they ever dating was he just courting her and and she was leading him on because she wanted information like there's plenty of ways to make this relationship between these two characters kind of interesting uh this movie doesn't do any of those but you could <laughs> hey you know what let's get to supergirl sleeping in the woods and a little tiny bunny hops over to her like a princess waking up from a fairy tale it's adorable then the movie decides to get creepy on me again. <laughs> she hears some sounds and she's like, oh, excuse me for a second, little bunny. Uh, let me go check out this softball game going on. And then starts just walking behind trees, which somehow makes her create a disguise, including a schoolgirl outfit and a dark wig. And then I start to feel funny and then guilty. And then I had to turn it off. So I haven't seen the rest of the movie. Let me fill you in because it really gets weird. What doesn't make sense about this whole chameleon transition is that her character knows nothing of Earth. All of this should just be 100% confusion. Yeah, like you said, she should be talking to horses. Or bunnies or trees. Or like her when she... Woke up with the bunny. She was like, hey, take me to your leader. So that, you know, she should be trying to contact them. She's looking for the Omega Hedron. At what point did she think like, well, I should go undercover? You know, just be Supergirl. Just be like, hey, I'm Supergirl. Has anybody seen this glow and spinny thing? I'm going to kick you in the dick if you have it. If not, I'm going to kick you in the vagina if you have it. Right. Here's my old pal Pancake Penis to tell you all about the effects of that. No! Right, he's goo. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> before she rolls in we do get to see ethan the landscaper as he's raking grass and cutting branches off trees he's wearing this shirt that is sleeveless which fun fact bo all of the shirts that i own have sleeves on my side of the fence chad not a one <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i mean you're right like this character this is why things get so creepy in this movie is this character is clearly a grown man with his own business he's like 35 right and i don't understand if this is supposed to be a college it's high school it's high school boy because that really complicates things chad <laughs> 
Supergirl goes into the school and the first girl she passes says, oh, barf, look at the new student. They're really scraping the bottom of the barrel these days. You know what? Fuck that girl. Like, who are you? You just saw me and you're right. saying I'm a piece of shit. Also, have you seen Helen Slater? <laughs> She's a beautiful lady. And at this point, a very pretty young woman who is coming into her own. Supergirl goes into what I'm guessing is like the headmaster or dean of the school. And he has some product placed Tylenol sitting on his desk and he pops a couple of those. And I'm surprised he's not washing it down with some delicious, cold, frosty A&W root beer. Um, the, head, the headmaster asks her her name and Supergirl looks over at a portrait of General Robert E. Lee on the wall. And you Using it as inspiration, she says, on Earth, I'm Lee, Linda Lee. Good save, Supergirl. Yeah, that's not that's not good. Good thing it wasn't a framed likeness of Nathan Bedford Forrest, because she might have turned out to be Forrest Gump in this scene. In a different movie, she... And, and uh, one not that dissimilar from this one, quite frankly. She would be bragging to people, and they would make a joke about this. Hey, yeah, I'm a descendant of Robert E. Lee. My name... It's Georgina Wallace. <laughs> what, what? Yeah. My name's Deborah, the guy who shot Medgar Evers. My name is <laughs> Helen Harvey Oswald. Oh, Jesus wow. Christ, what? Oh, that's not good. Keep her away from the library. <laughs> The headmaster asks her for her letter of recommendation, and she's all confused by this. And then Nigel, the warlock from earlier, he comes in, and apparently he is a math teacher at this all-girls academy, because of course he is. Nigel comes in and says, I need to speak to you, headmaster, at once, probably about their dental plan. And then the two of them leave, and then Supergirl goes over and with lightning speed types up a letter of recommendation from her cousin, Clark Kent. Uh, Supergirl puts it in the filing cabinet, and when the headmaster returns, she references the letter that it may be in her file, and the headmaster goes over and finds it, and he's fine with the letter of this complete stranger, and he says, you know what, you can uh, now attend our all-girls school. Yeah. I, I like that uh, this scene kind of ends with him saying to uh, Kara when she's like, oh no, I'm an orphan. And he's like, yeah, we're all basically alone. And you're like, whoa! Why did this movie get existentially dark on me all of a sudden? We were goofing with Faye Dunaway in a carnival a second ago. These two walk across the campus and they pass an AW root beer vending machine. That's nice. <laughs> hey, I've never seen one of those in the wild, Chad. <laughs> Nobody has. Um, they go inside the girls' dormitory where there's one girl bouncing on one of those small circle trampoline devices. And she has three pound dumbbell weights in her hands and she's wearing a sweatband around her head. Sure and a sweatshirt tied around her waist and she's only wearing a bra in her upper body because you know Bo that's how young girls stay in shape I was more distracted by the clever placement of some frosted flakes what up frosted flakes in this scene yummy the headmaster interrupts the girls in their natural state of partial dress and they all scream and run off the headmaster takes supergirl i mean linda lee i mean whatever her name was to meet her new roommate lucy lane ugh the sister mm. of Lois Lane. 
And she's wearing this green baseball hat with a white mesh backing and it's turned sideways. What does it say about a character in a movie when they have their hat on sideways like this? Are they just like the wacky one? They're just a, for a good time. They're a little wacky. Sure. I like to think that they just can't dress themselves. Like they put both legs with the same hole on their underwear. Remember that rap duo crisscross? They wore their clothes backwards. They, but that wasn't wacky. That was a fashion statement. I would... I'm thinking more of like the fat boys wearing uh, their hats askew <laughs> as a sign of wackiness. Because if ever there was a wacky rap trio, it was the fat boys. I don't think there's another one. I think that's it. It's wacky rap trio is the fat boys. <laughs> well, you know, you get specific enough. You're the best at something, Chad. It's a lesson I want to impart to people. The headmaster makes a connection that Clark Kent and Lois Lane both work at the Daily Planet just to make sure that we put all these dots together into some sort of picture. In this scene, Lucy is reading a Hulk comic book, Traitor, and it's here that Supergirl, I mean, Linda Lee, I mean, Cara Jor-El, I mean, oh, whatever her name is in this scene. She sees this publicity poster from Superman 2 hanging on the wall, and she's just awestruck seeing her cousin wearing the full-on Superman suit. And the music here is so desperately wanting to be the John Williams score, but it just can't do it. No, it just doesn't have the oomph. It's just got too weak an engine, man. It just can't get over the hill. Uh, from the opening credits, it, it's the same way where you're just like, nope, this ain't cutting it. Do you think that's how Melissa McCarthy felt when she saw Jenny McCarthy in Playboy magazine? <laughs> like, nope, never going to be me. I told my wife that joke ahead of time and she told me it was sexist. It's about someone whose cousin is more successful and popular and you're looking at them thinking, I will never be like that. And she just looked at me and said, you are an asshole. Both can be true. The ability to hold two opposing positions at the same time in your mind is a sign of true intelligence. Mm -hmm. So take that <laughs> outside the girls' school for some undo reason. Bianca, uh, Selena's sidekick, she's chauffeuring her around her witch friend boss or something. And Selena's in the backseat of this big car. And Selena decides that she's really interested in world domination. And the way to do this is that she's going to make everybody love her. Which that's nice, you know? Mm -hmm. I want everybody, yeah. everybody wants everybody to like them. Everybody wants everybody to love them. And then Bianca immediately gets all horned up when she sees Ethan, the landscaper, um, wearing blue jeans, yard gloves, and no shirt, cutting a branch off of a tree with a handsaw. Looks like it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, you know, because the kids who plucked down some money to see the adventures of Supergirl were looking to see a cougar get all horned up. <laughs> For a sexy gardener in the back of the car the mystery orb still in its little tiny demon casting starts to glow and selena decides that ethan the shirtless long guy is the one that she must make love her first yeah because immediately she's like fuck you bianca this one's mine <laughs> bianca's just like oh 
poop. Which is weird. Like, why give up so easily? You're you're Brenda Vaccaro. Stand up for yourself. Inside the school, Supergirl's bracelet, the one that Zoltar zapped onto her wrist at the start of the movie. We may not have mentioned that, but she has a magical bracelet. This thing starts to glow. And so Supergirl uses her x-ray vision to see Selena and Bianca driving off. So she knows that the orb is with them. Yes, she knows that the orb is getting away. And during this scene, Supergirl is in the classroom of Nigel, the warlock slash math teacher. (laughs) And he calls out Supergirl for not paying attention and says, if you're, you know, so smart... Why don't you explain this complicated math equation on the board? And it is very embarrassing to her. But then Supergirl spouts off the correct answer. And then the whole class laughs uncontrollably, which then in turn embarrasses Nigel. He accuses Supergirl of snooping through his pages and stealing the answer to this complicated problem. Why any of this is happening is beyond me. Because as soon as Supergirl saw the Omega Hedron, why did she not be like, well, fuck this noise? Just blast through the wall, rip through the car, grab this, movie's <laughs> over. I'm going to go get the thing I came here for. <laughs> But no, instead she's solving math problems and getting static from her warlock teacher <laughs> in a Supergirl movie, no less. She takes it before uh, Selena ever has any idea how to use the thing. It's done, you know, and she doesn't have to saw him in half and murder anybody. She didn't have to do any of that. She can just stop the car punch through the roof, grab the thing, and then fly off to her mermaid city. Well, she goes back to the the pond. Or the pool. Pool or pond. Pond's probably good for her. Yeah, pool or the pond. Either would be great. Uh, <laughs> At this point in the classroom, Lucy Lane, the sister of Lois Lane, she says it's the weather and lightning and electromagnetism in the air that makes people smarter for a few seconds to explain why Supergirl knew how to answer this math problem, you know, because a girl good at math <laughs> indeed right yeah i mean peter o'toole agrees <laughs> that awful lois lane's little sister tells supergirl to not show off that she's good at math because nobody's gonna like you you got that young girls in the audience smart girls are not popular so keep your mouth shut and look pretty why don't you go along to get along chad <laughs> We cut to the outside of the school where all of the girls are now playing lacrosse and not soft. Um, Later that day, they're going to go to a farmer's market and then they're going to cap off the evening with a Melissa Etheridge concert, I presume. That may have been offensive. <laughs> You're treading on dangerous territory. Yeah, yeah, explain this one as well. That always turns out good. One of the girls on the lacrosse field decides to take out Lane for good. And she hits this lacrosse ball a ball i don't know if it's a ball or a widget or a i don't know like the golden snitch or whatever it is in lacrosse and she whacks this thing really hard and it goes towards lucy lane and then supergirl dashes in front of her friend to protect her and the ball hits her back and not her friend but when this ball hits supergirl's back (laughs) it explodes like a grenade right did the evil lacrosse girl hit it so hard or would a normal speed ball that comes in contact with supergirl explode the physics of this make no sense to me at all yeah like if you're supergirl you're thinking oh shit i got another supergirl on this planet to deal with like that ain't human beings slapping balls around that hard no also i probably should have watched the phrasing on that one too come to my window (laughs) 
it's yeah it's crazy and then also no one reacts to it as, as being like holy shit did that ball just explode everyone's just like hmm boy those two peas in a pod so you know what let's head to the girl's shower to take our mind off things mm, yeah <laughs> which is where we are now and those two rotten girls from the crossfield they're hiding in the steam pipes and the head mean girl is going to turn off the cold water and scald the naked nice girls in the shower um supergirl overhears this and uses her heat vision to rupture the pipes and in turn scald the mean girls because the hunter has become the hunted <laughs> yeah yeah because kara uh, zorel is a monster we cut back to the dorm room and Lucy Lane asks Supergirl, hey, what are you going to do for the weekend? And Supergirl proceeds to put a bra on over her clothes upside down. And then she stuffs one of the cups of the bra with a pair of panties. And it's really weird. Like she doesn't know how these clothes work. Again, why this movie isn't more of a fish out of water story, I have no idea, but it just isn't. She had the foresight to forge a letter from her cousin and slip it into a file, but can't figure a bra out. <laughs> this movie is fucking nonsense. Lucy Lane says that Jimmy Olsen is coming up for a visit. Remember him? And he's going to be in our movie shortly. Uh, Lucy Lane says that she's headed out for this three-day weekend, but she'll meet up with Linda Lee, a.k.a. Supergirl, later at a Popeye's fried chicken. I could go for some Popeye's. Super, yeah, so Supergirl is staying behind, I guess, to investigate omega heatron stuff i guess she flies over chicago she goes over comiskey park where the white Sox are playing and the whole stadium's half full so take that white Sox. You and then she flies over a drive-in theater where they're showing psycho 2 so take that psycho 2 i don't know and then day turns to night and supergirl finally makes her way you know into chicago proper and then we're back at the haunted amusement park and it's here that selena is putting a spider inside of a walnut shell and doing some hocus pocus love potion nonsense and and she says that whenever somebody drinks this special love potion, they're going to fall in love with the first person that they see as long as the spider is still inside the walnut shell. Is this a superhero movie? What the hell is going on here? This seems like a real shit spell. There's a lot of conditions on this thing. At the origin of the spell's writing, like Marvin Herman, Magic Attorney was in on this. Whereas like, <laughs> all right, look, they can love the first person they see, but it's for a day. I'll tell you what, I see I see it in your eyes, you don't like that. How about this? One day or until the spider comes out of the shell. How's that for a spell? I can do that. I like this I like the spider of the shell, because who's gonna open the shell? Who's gonna open the shell? A shell's closed. My point exactly. But the shell is always closed. So I should have initial here, initial here, sign here, initial here. And it's a sign there and there, and then two initials there. And also uh, a little bit of blood because it's you know magic eternity bianca comes riding through this haunted house in a miniature train engine smoking a cigarette as she does i'm assuming most mornings she asks selena why she isn't using the power of the orb to do whatever it is that she's doing and selena says she's saving that for something bigger which i don't even know what the hell that means who knows what anyone in this movie wants because originally it was world domination and now selena's just like i gotta get the fucking gardener speaking of which outside ethan the gardener shows up in his work truck unfortunately he's wearing a shirt this time around selena opens the door to the haunted house and she greets him ethan is a real dimwit in this movie <laughs> yeah like the the guy that everyone is fawning over not just bianca and and selena 
spoiler, Kara's gonna go goo-goo for this dum-dum as well. And yeah, he's just a complete nothing in this movie. Like, he's not charming or clever or even rich or, yeah, he's a big beefcake and he's handsome, but everyone's like, I want him forever. It's not, like, the reaction should be like, I wanna fuck that guy. And that's not it. It's just like, I want him forever. He will be my prince. It's like, no. What are you doing? You're, you're You're gonna own the world and this is the guy you wanna spend all of your, like, days ruling over all of mankind with what does he bring it to the table other than a big dick maybe that's all they need selena offers him something to drink and she gives him what else but a can of schlitz malt liquor (laughs) 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 to which she adds this magic love potion where the first person that he sees he'll fall in love with and every single moment of this dialogue feels like we are headed into a porno Yeah, he also drinks beer like a teenager. It's just these big draughts. He makes his cheeks real big like he drinks it and holds it in his mouth like a chipmunk. (laughs) And then just like gulps Uh it down. Right, like making a show of, I'm drinking beer, everybody. Hart Bachner is this poor gentleman's name. (laughs) God bless him. I mean, he looks like he's chiseled out of fleshy marble but he is not an actor not at all so back outside ethan the groundskeeper he arrives in his work truck and unfortunately he's wearing a shirt this time and selena opens up the door and she greets him ethan as we noted is a real dimwit ethan after she offers him this love potion he starts hallucinating and he eventually just blacks out and i don't know if bill Cosby ever saw this movie if so i don't know if he was really into it or if he was made more uncomfortable because of his own personal behaviors but we'll let the judicial system sort that out and i'm sure that supergirl will be paramount as part of the prosecution's case right yeah with the love potion and the spider and the nut (laughs) and then suddenly there is a buzz at the door a doorbell if you will and who is it it's nigel the warlock and he's dressed up in this green plastic suit covered in zippers it looks like a green army man cosplay suit (laughs) yeah he's got an italian man bag Back inside the house, Ethan, the landscaper, he's hallucinating in this semi-conscious state of mind, and he wanders around through the haunted house attraction in which they live. It turns out that this is a fully functioning and running haunted house. There are devils and giant spiders popping out. It's terrifying. And this is literally the worst place that you could wander under the effects of hallucinatory stimuli. Waking up in a police station is maybe just ahead of it. Wait, you think being on hallucinogenic drugs and waking up in a police station is worse than being on hallucinogenic drugs and staggering your way through a functioning haunted house? Yes, I was... (laughs) I was far more terrified of cops on acid than I was of ghosts. Like the devil and giant spiders and spooks and goblins? Yeah, you know, them's my people. That says more about you than it does about me. I know. It's... (laughs) because i'm an outlaw chad we come back to nigel and he's telling selena that he can help her harness the power of the orb with his special warlock powers that makes no sense selena tells nigel to piss off and she curses him with skin problems that look like a fresh case of face herpes or yeah and then uh yeah and he's all like oh i've gotten all gross and (laughs) 
<laughs> then Selena goes back in and it's just like, hey, where's my man meat? And Bianca's like, oh, fuck, I, I guess he left. Well, they see Ethan staggering around outside of the spook house in what I'm guessing is soiled pants. And then Selena looks into a mirror and sees Ethan wandering around in the streets of the city. And so Selena and Bianca go to fetch him. During this scene, they grab the orb, which is inside this little demon case. And it's continuing to grow in size because what? Why? I don't know. Who cares? But it's getting bigger. Uh, Chad, you're forgetting about the all-important conversation about losing reception on the mirror for a minute. Where it's like, oh, we can't see him. Oh, get out the Omega Hedron. Oh, now the mirror TV is back on. And you're just like, what are we doing in this movie? <laughs> Put some aluminum foil on the Omega Hedron. It'll make it work better. This movie is two hours long, Chad. And we're having a goddamn conversation about getting the reception on the mirror right. <laughs> Ethan Stagg down the city streets and he's barely able to support his own weight under his current mental condition and <laughs> i don't know if this is the first time that ethan has meandered down this city street under certain conditions but let's be honest people are not surprised to see him staggering one foot to the other at this point <laughs> supergirl lands and she changes into her schoolgirl outfit uh, jimmy olsen has shown up in the movie and lucy lane is there and they're hanging out with some friends at popeye's fried chicken drinking delicious sweet refreshing a and w root beer you know like kids do <laughs> not since santa claus the movie as a movie made me so hungry for an unnecessary scene lucy sees linda and she leaves popeye's famous fried chicken and biscuits and she invites her to come over to their hangout group and during their conversation the two of them see ethan staggering down the middle of the road again this hunky total stranger lucy at this point calls him a dingleberry and supergirl says what's a dingleberry yeah. And they don't really answer this question. So, Bo, for listeners who aren't familiar with what a dingleberry is, would you care to enlighten them? Uh, to the best of my uh, remembering, Chad, a dingleberry is uh, a, like a bead of, say, some toilet paper and some poo that gets caught up in your ass hair. That is my understanding of the dingleberry. I'm no expert. I think you are. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I let, let's just say I've got the ingredients for dingleberries, <laughs> but you gotta you gotta keep all that clean, man. I mean, you're a grown man. <laughs> During this scene, Lucy is wearing this long sleeve white sweatshirt that <laughs> that's got the saddest airbrushed artwork <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that's a real Daytona Beach sweater. I don't know how those two go together, but if Daytona Beach were to sell a sweater, there you go. The design is this pink circle with eight pink straight lines emanating out like sunbeams. And then in the middle of the circle, there are like two blue eyes and a pink mouth and some pink cheeks. <laughs> sprayed in it's really sad yeah you would never wear something like this out to a popeye's famous fried chicken and biscuits ever unless like your kid made it and your kid really loved that chicken from popeye's <laughs> right and they're with you it's it's not <laughs> and it's mother's day yeah <laughs> and your birthday and their birthday yeah also during this scene in the background there's a billboard for tylenol <laughs> I know. oh <laughs> yeah i look this movie is brazen you can see where all the money came from to get this 
<laughs> turd brought to reality. So at, while all the kids are having a good time at Delicious Popeyes, <laughs> Selena sees, you know, Hart Lochner wandering around the streets, uh, all shirtless and whatnot, and is like, I need to get my man meat back. And so she casts this spell to maximum overdrive this earth mover. I have the exact same line. <laughs> yeah sure because that's what happens it's like acdc kicks in who made who yeah if you made them and they made you i can do the whole thing <laughs> you know what i like is that jimmy olsen says hey this guy's probably on drugs so you know what fuck him let's go back inside and eat more delicious popeye's fried chicken right that guy is headed right for you if he's on drugs <laughs> You're delaying the inevitable. So we get this slow motion action sequence where this giant bulldozer scooping crane piece of machinery comes out and gobbles up Ethan, our hunky landscaper, and he is suddenly in peril. And so Lucy... Lucy Lane decides she's going to try to stop this because she sees all this shit go down. So she gets behind the wheel of this big machine to try to stop it. What happens? Like it runs over something and she bumps her head, conks her out. Do you think that the Lane family crest reads calamity from bravery? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. A fine line between stupidity and bravery. Lucy Lane did not think this out. This was not a a chess move on her part of like, ah, yes, I'll get in there and steer it to the left and then I'll run it into the wall and that'll stop it. It's just a like, I could probably do something. Get him. <laughs> that was your whole plan. Yeah, it's just, I, get, I, get, I mean, nobody else is doing anything. I'm at least doing something. Something is better than nothing most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something versus nothing, something always wins. <laughs> I've had a couple of nothing afternoons. I'm not going to lie. You know what? Going back to that Matt Frewer rape scene earlier. <laughs> Please. Nothing would have been better than something. <laughs> I stand corrected. Yeah. Yeah. Hiroshima, Chad. <laughs> the holocaust yeah apparently i'm a monster you are a monster nobody (laughs) nobody ever looked at nine million jewish names chad 9-11 hurricane katrina that's something versus nothing yeah you piece of shit yeah easy one to take off the table if you ask me um So this runaway tractor crashes into a gas station, spilling a trail of fuel across the street. And then traffic in this town just turns into an impromptu demolition derby. (laughs) I mean, every car is crashing into every other automobile. Which is ironic because there will be an impromptu derby later. (laughs) During this scene, Linda Lee changes in the bathroom of the Popeye's world famous fried chicken and biscuits. And then she tells this exiting worker from the bathroom excuse me i'm in a rush to which the popeyes female employee says i know the feeling because she works at popeyes and this is clearly like yeah you eat this shit you get diarrhea (laughs) that's not what i got out of it at all but that's a better interpretation because i didn't know what the hell they were talking about really yeah what did you think was going on if somebody's rushing into the bathroom of popeyes my thought is like what'd you have the number three or the number four because you're making a number two yeah you might make a six there'll be three quick number twos 
Outside, a tire fire erupts and gasoline is creeping towards this particular blaze. Supergirl shows up in her red, yellow, and blue costume, and she uses her laser vision to sever the power lines because that's a threat? Question mark. I don't know. Here's the big problem with all this. Like, as she's superheroing around here, like, she zaps the electrical lines, and then she sees this fire, and she's like, hey, there's a water tower. But before we even get to that, at no point in this movie, Chad, has she ever said, I should defend humanity i should be a hero she doesn't know what a water tower is it and it feels redundant to keep saying none of this makes any sense but none of this makes any sense why she has chosen to go undercover at all why she is being a superhero like if she wants to do that she needs to say it at some point she needs that superhero moment and if you were building up to it it'd be one thing where at the end of the movie she's like i'll defend earth it's just like and eh, no, she finishes what she she's doing she fucks off you know like none of this feels like there there are any stakes to any of it nobody aside from the comic book arch story of here's a villain and here's a hero the villain wants to take over the world and the hero's gonna stop them there's nothing else about this adds up no it does not have that scene again to harken back to the original superman where lois lane is interviewing superman out on the balcony and he says i'm fighting for truth and justice in the american way in this case she's just like i'm here to save a groundskeeper yeah because it doesn't it it makes no sense at all because i'm killing some time until i find this omegahedron you know i'm just cooling my heels at the popeyes and waiting to see what shakes out popping a couple of etc if i get a little sugar high for the a and w it's fine but eventually supergirl grabs the scoop of the mouth off of this tractor and she takes it to safety and she opens it up where we see ethan the landscaper but this is not before she changes back into linda lee and then when ethan the landscaper sees her he immediately falls in love with linda lee the brunette version of supergirl and it should be noted that supergirl doesn't save lucy lane who knocked herself unconscious in the cab of this car she just leaves her to kind of fuck off and figure shit out for herself. I, um, that's another note we share on this one. I'm just like, what happened to Lucy Lane? She's just in the cab of this tractor or whatever that was just on fire, by the way. She'll figure it out. I mean unconscious like bleeding out of one ear that can't be good ethan the landscaper begins to express his love to linda lee in some very flowery language and then he kisses her on the mouth <laughs> which how old is supergirl again and how old is this landscaper because just basing it on height weight skin tone wrinkles comfortableness with engaging with kissing i'm putting her at around 15 i'm putting him in at like 32 yeah, right it, it's amazing to me that in this scene first of all that at no point did supergirl use the tylenol sign to save someone <laughs> like i was didn't they learn that from superman one and two yeah i it just felt like restraint that this movie it didn't have you know good for them i guess and also the spider in the nut it should be a mouse the way that old heart algernoned up after this love potion kicked in right like not only did he go all goofy for supergirl upon seeing her but he is using language that he did not seem capable of before there's no way that these words would have ever come out of 
his mouth. Ever, ever, ever. Right. I don't care how much Slits malt liquor you plied him with. He's not speaking like this. Nope. It frustrated the hell out of me. All the time that he's under this spell when he's just like, you know, what ho, Supergirl, thou hast my heart, you know? And you're like, what are you doing? You're a goofy meathead gardener. Well, but he's under he's under a magical spell, and we're in a superhero movie, so sure. it all adds up. So Selena decides, well, if she's going to go after my man, I'm going to conjure this a dark star, is what she calls it. It's a dark shadow. Right, the dark, the dark shadow to go after Supergirl. And it's a good thing we don't see it ever, because it seems really scary. The way she's like, oh! look at that thing and the way it's invisibly knocking over stuff and uh i gotta say though this is probably my favorite part of the movie because we see that bricks are being toppled over and that kind of thing it's just reasonably good effects work for once in this film yeah but selena as the main witch she's like hey supergirl stole my hunky groundskeeper and I'm going to send out an invisible force to kill her. The whole scene in this movie is absent. And it it just feels like a cheat. Yeah. Like we can't pay for the effects of having a monster. So let's just sort of show what the monster is doing without showing the monster. Like before the monster makes itself known. Like, Supergirl's walking around all horned up after this kiss that she had with Hart Lochner. From a dude in his mid-30s. Then, she's like, oh my god, something's coming. Well, she's upstairs kissing herself in the mirror. Yeah, it's weird. This whole movie is weird about... The the sexuality of it all just doesn't ever... They just never explain it in a way that makes all of this alright. And... That constantly nags at me when I'm watching this movie. How would it ever be all right? At what point would you be like, oh, I'm comfortable with this. It makes sense that she's making out with herself in the mirror pretending to be a 30-year-old man. I mean, like, if she, if it's a, like, college, and it turns out that she's, I don't know, 20, I'm just saying, I'm just looking for something. I'm doing my fan fiction again. You got nothing, man. This is just creepy weird. And what's worse, he's just a groundskeeper. He's a landscaper. Right, it's not even like he's a, you know, Mr. Gray, elegant, seductive kind of guy. He's a guy who perpetually looks like he has (laughs) B.O. Yeah, you know that he has AstroTurf on a table in his house. (laughs) The way that he sucks down those schlitzes. The summon dark shadow shows up and makes its way to the school because it's going to try to kill Linda, the brunette. It interrupts her smooching practice in the mirror. And then Linda decides, hey man, I got to turn into Supergirl and I got to go do battle with this invisible force. And the invisible shadow slams Linda into a vending machine featuring sweet, sweet, delicious a and w root beer <laughs> yeah man i could go for an a and w root beer right now oh uh, uh, it'll help wash down all that delicious popeyes and tylenol yeah well you're gonna need that after all the a and w and popeyes for sure <laughs> so in this scene supergirl is basically fighting nothing because the dark shadow is invisible and she's just flying around banging into invisible something yeah get thrown into walls and stuff like that and then she gets a bright idea because it's a superhero movie and at some point she's got to do something super heroic so she grabs like a lamppost and flies into the storm that is raging above them and just gets the lamppost super electrified or something right by a bunch of lightning that that's not how (laughs) any of that works in (laughs) 
But again, you know, don't worry about it. It's just, all right, they'll lightning hit it and it's a lamp that stores electricity. And then she blows up the forbidden planet monster that makes a cameo. Just like, hey, remember me from 35 years ago? I was thinking it looked like the monster that lived in the closet at Poltergeist House. Yeah, but it's only a cartoon version of that. (laughs) And then it's gone. Problem solved. So let's go back to the dormitory. Yeah. And then it's just like Selena telling Bianca, like, find out who that is. You know, Supergirl sneaks back in to find a drunk house lady uh, who's like, you know, you stupid kids out all night fighting lamp monsters. I like that the house mother is carrying around a thermos full of booze. (laughs) I can respect that kind of drunk. The unapologetic drunk, do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got a real problem and fuck you. Selena and Bianca are all pissed off that their invisible monster didn't kill Linda. And they also agree that the orb is continuing to grow. There's something going on here. And as the orb grows, it calls out to Linda slash Supergirl's bracelet. And the bracelet acts as a divining rod to find the missing orb. Yes. So the Omega Hedron keeps spinning and glowing as it, like, it's reacting to the bracelet just as the bracelet reacts to it. And basically, Supergirl just follows the beeps to the circus. The abandoned amusement park. Whereupon, once upon a time, Kiss met a phantom, perhaps. <laughs> um, and so when she gets to this ghost carnival, Hart is there and is like, hey, I got candy and flowers for you. And you're like, what a what are you doing why are you here you're a 35 year old groundskeeper why are you at this abandoned amusement park why are you trying to pick me up a 15 year old girl presumably yes he's just like no baby just sit on the ride with me for a minute it's cool the two of them get on this tilt-a-whirl and again i'm fully expecting she's got to be somebody's baby to start playing And this old dude and this young girl are sitting there. It's completely inappropriate. It's totally weird. And it's even weirder at this point because Ethan, the groundskeeper, asks Linda, a 15-year-old girl, to marry him. Oh, a whole lot of shaking going on. (laughs) And for a moment, Linda looks like she might say yes. Right. Yes. She's like, you're silly. This is silly. But you're so nice and hunky. Are you serious? I mean, you're not, but I mean, seriously? (laughs) But, like, if I said yes, what would happen? I mean, my parents are dead. They've clearly died because they've run out of oxygen because I didn't find the Omega Hedron. But you are handsome. I should not be sitting here right now. I am being so naughty. I should be saving my entire civilization. And guess what? Supergirl don't care. Ethan pleads his case. (laughs) And says that he, and I'm quoting here, I'm a poor, uneducated gardener (laughs) that can can worship a rich debutante. Oh, but wait, Supergirl can sweeten the pot. Because she goes, don't be silly. I'm not rich. Will these two lean in to kiss each other again? And before I can call the authorities, Selena shows up and makes the Tilt-A-Whirl spin around at super speed with her orb witch magic. I don't know. And when it stops, <laughs> Ethan is the only one on the ride. And at this point, I'm guessing that they all assumed that Linda was thrown to her death. 
Yeah, everybody seems pretty cool with it, too. They're like, well, I guess she's gone. Whatever. Yeah. But then Supergirl shows up and she is ready to kick some ass. Selena zaps Ethan from the Tilt-A-Whirl over to the bumper cars because, I don't know. <laughs> A ride invented for children, Chad. And, and he is horrified that he is among <laughs> bumper cars this is one of the dumber things in a movie that is filled with dumb shit at this point selena begins to replicate herself into 20 different versions that are all attached hand to hand like paper dolls does supergirl think this is how the world on earth works where witchcraft is a thing she's only been on earth for like what 48 hours yeah. She doesn't know how shit works here. Ah, she's integrated quickly. She's like, she's already in school. She's got friends. Got a potential boyfriend. She's about to get married, Chad. I mean, she moves fast. <laughs> At this point, Supergirl tosses a bunch of pipes in the air. And they form a circle around Selena the Witch to... In Encage her. Supergirl grabs the bumper car that has Ethan the groundskeeper in it. And the two of them fly away over the city of Chicago the bears was this an exciting scene for you bo and no nothing really happens it's just a she threw some rebar and then picks up a bumper car which is stupid and <laughs> flies around with it it's a real like you know can you read my mind only poor and uneducated <laughs> Supergirl flies Ethan to some lake up in the mountains somewhere and Ethan just wants his Linda and then a coconut flies out of the sky and bonks Ethan on the head. And the coconut was summoned by Selena, just in case you were wondering. Selena tries to summon a dark shadow to bring Ethan back to her. And because this movie is really a battle between our villain and superhero over a hunky gardener, <laughs> Uh, at this point, Bianca convinces Selena to call Nigel because he's a better warlock than she is a witch. What in the hell is going on in this movie? At one point in this conversation, Selena's like, well, this will keep her occupied because she'll fuss over Ethan for a while. She's Supergirl and her boyfriend or would be husband gets conked on the head and she's going to be like, oh, dear. Oh, oh, let me just hold his cheek and stroke his hair until the man wakes up uh it's who could possibly know what's happening why is selena still trying to get this meathead gardener calling in nigel is just the movie shrugging and throwing up its hands and just being like i don't know let's bring this character back let's see what happens nigel shows up and during his conversation with selena the two of them talk about how she's gonna take over the world and during this conversation nigel cracks open the walnut and the spider comes out which breaks the spell over ethan if you're confused don't worry we'll explain it all on this episode of soap um, back in the mountains, we come to this moment where Ethan has this, what, where am I? What's going on? But it turns out that Ethan is still in love with Linda, despite the spider getting out of the nut. Supergirl is completely confused about what's going on. We cut back to the amusement park, and then Nigel and Selena take the power of the orb and combine it with this <laughs> Burundi wand that looks like a voodoo stick. And they're like, we're going to make all of this come together in a fantastic magical fashion i had one of those moments where you kind of break away from the illusion of the movie which is tough to do because this movie is so good at world building i just thought about that day on set where faye dunaway and peter cook are shaking a glowy spinny thing and a stick with a skull on it at the camera and wondering what the fuck they just agreed to <laughs> 
<laughs> what do you think that conversation was like? I mean, it's just got to be like, how much are they paying you? That much, really? Because I, you know, I, you know, yeah, I have a couple of kids. One of them's gonna go to college, and this will pay for all that. So that's good. <laughs> I, I was thinking about getting a pool. <laughs> After Selena merges the Burundi wand with the Omega Hedron, she zaps Nigel and turns him into this disheveled version of himself, where he has gray hair and his suit is all torn up. He looks kind of like a like a Dorian Gray version of Nigel, but it doesn't really make sense <laughs> as to what's going on. It's like she aged him. 13 years or something i who could know it looks like he went through a cobweb or (laughs) (laughs) we cut back to smallville or peoria or wherever the hell this movie is taking place and jimmy olsen and lucy lane they come out of popeyes and there's this giant monolith of a mountain outside of the town with a fortress at the top that selena has produced with her orb magic witch at this point supergirl flies over chicago to save the day i guess i don't know she makes her way to this new mountain fortress outside of this small town and she goes inside and her first words are ethan Ethan, <laughs> right? You know, looking for the groundskeeper, not Omega Hedron, the the thing that will literally save my family, who I have pretended to care about for nigh fifteen years. She looks over and sees Ethan, and he's chained to the wall. And Supergirl walks towards Ethan, and she is suddenly in a glass box. And then Selena shows up, and she kisses Ethan on the lips, and Supergirl screams out, "No!" Which begs the question, how does Selena know about the Phantom Zone? That seems like a Krypton thing. I guess that's where all the shadow magic comes from. I don't know. Like, none of this is explained. I'm, again, applying my own logic to it. Although I do like the fact that we have the... the I always thought the Phantom Zone thing was kind of neat. Of being sort of trapped in that two-dimensional sort of thing and then cast into space or whatever. But it doesn't end there with Supergirl because she goes all the way into the Phantom Zone. Also, she crashes onto a rock. I don't know if you caught this, the, but when she lands, this is such a nitpicky bullshit thing. But when she lands after like crashing onto the Phantom Zone asteroid or wherever the fuck she is, it bounces. And it's like, oh, Supergirl, you're too cheap to even get the stunt right. Once she's in the Phantom Zone, to your point, it doesn't make sense that Selena would know about this. It smashes, and then she's on this planet which is filled with a bunch of rocks and mud puddles and ashy red sky and then she tries to fly but she can't she tries to crush a rock but her hand bleeds she wanders around and she falls into this big pit of greenish filth and that chad is where lewis gossett jr in heavy alien makeup finds her ew (laughs) yeah supergirl mine coming soon your mickey mouse (laughs) The, your phantom zone is crap. <laughs> You're in the phantom we, zone. We cut back to small town USA and Selena is driving around in this Isota for Shetty convertible like she's Norma Desmond. The whole town is protesting that they want Selena to go. Like she's a Walmart in this small town or maybe an adult bookstore. It doesn't make sense that the town would be protesting this one woman. The town shed, let's be real, like 20 people. You know, and but in fairness, the goon squad that Selena suddenly has is only like 10 people. So, mm, 
you know, <laughs> the odds are with them. But the whole thing looks really cheap. It, it's like if in a movie, it's like, hey, we got to go through this busy, crowded parade. And it's like three floats and two dudes go by in the background. You're like, oh, that's adorable. And that's kind of how this movie is. Well, to that point, Selena then abducts Lucy Lane and Jimmy Olsen because Lucy Lane gets all mouthy with Selena. And then we cut back to the barren planet and somebody who pulls Supergirl from this green muck and it's Zoltar from the beginning of the film. Remember, he banished himself to the Phantom Zone rather than die like all of Supergirl's parents, friends, and loved ones. Yeah. Zoltar's sitting around sucking on this homemade jinkum concoction to get him through the day. <laughs> I love everything going on with the Zoltar in this scene. <laughs> he found he found himself a source of liquor. Who knows about food? Doesn't matter. That's not where his life's headed. And yeah, he's just like, well, I guess everyone else is dead take a hit of steak <laughs> yeah you're in the phantom zone now kara <laughs> that means we have to repopulate it i <laughs> i gotta look at <laughs> ethan <laughs> ethan <laughs> <laughs> but and he's constantly trying to push it on her too like go on have a squirt <laughs> which and that is not a phrasing thing that is a thing that comes out of peter o'toole's mouth in this movie did i <laughs> tell you about the squirt it's delicious you should squirt in your mouth carter <laughs> in your mouth <laughs> go on squirt <laughs> i everything in this scene is just like what is happening why is this old british man telling her to squirt in her mouth and then he's just like Oh, by the way, there's a way out. I just never wanted to. And so he's like, hey, I guess we can get out of here. <laughs> All right. You know, like the Phantom Zone gets less and less horrific by the second when you're with Peter O'Toole in, in the Phantom Zone. Well, I have liquor, of course, and a way out. <laughs> so oh, your parents were dead, I assume. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll be fine. We'll get out of here. Everything will be great. <laughs> Back on Earth, Selena puts Jimmy and Nigel and Lucy in some dangling cages. Lucy recognizes Nigel as her math teacher. <laughs> yeah. What's their plan now? Like, hey, that's my math teacher. Why are you here? I thought this was the one genuinely funny moment in the movie. And I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but it's a really funny read of the line where she's like, yeah, he's my math teacher. I don't know what he's doing here. Back on planet Doom, Zaltar and Supergirl contemplate their life in the Phantom Zone. And Zaltar says there's no way out ever uh, except for the rift. Right. You can get out that way. I mean, we're doomed here for all eternity except for this one loophole. I mean, there's no way out except for this one way that you can get out. <laughs> right. She's like, well... It, but it's Supergirl that, that says, well, if there's a way into the Phantom Zone, there must be a way out. And he's like, no, no, no. But yes. <laughs> Back on Earth, Selena and Bianca and Ethan are sitting around talking about how they're going to take over all of North America. To what end? What is their end game? What are they doing? Just it, it, the most basic of motivations. I just run shit now, which seems like a real rough job. But yeah, I guess you own everything, too. It's just all consuming power, right? It's, you know, I, I if I rule the world, I can have anything I want whenever I want. That seems all right. I guess so. Zaltar takes Supergirl to some rock face 
casing that looks like a tornado inside of a toilet bowl inside of the phantom zone and the two climb across this rock facing trying not to get sucked in long story short zoltar gets sucked in and supergirl makes it out alive is that a summation of what they alive? yeah it's a whole lot of like uh, oh i've slipped you slipped we've all slip help me i've got your hand don't slip my hand in your hand i'm gone <laughs> squirt one last time for me what did you say i said it's so gross yeah what a gross old man glad he's gone <laughs> supergirl flies back to the fortress in about like five seconds at this point selena threatens to drop supergirl's friends who are now in cages onto some really hot red spikes but supergirl freezes the spikes and saves her friends before they fall to their ultimate demise selena grabs her magic wand and supergirl demands the omega hedron selena zaps the demon holding the omega hedron and starts all manner of chaos chaos within the fortress and then supergirl forgets that she can fly for this entire final sequence of the film and she's just like rolling around on the floor as it rocks and shakes with red lava light coming up from the ground she gets cursed to a dragon's lair stage (laughs) i kept waiting for like one false move to flash the screen white for an instant as the laser disc spun up the image of her like burning into ash selena summons the power of shadow to destroy supergirl and it looks like this giant minotaur with huge bone wings and the power of the shadow grabs supergirl and in this scene selena the witch she is able to control the monster with her own hands which then take the hands of the monster that stretches supergirl's body outward as supergirl cries out in pain is that what's happening is she being stretched or i don't know she's just screaming out like i can't i can't oh it hurts i don't i'm in pain yeah uh, but fortunately obi drunk kenobi (laughs) (laughs) chimes in is like use the force or whatever (laughs) our notes if you laid your notes and my notes over together it would almost be an identical (laughs) dna match (laughs) did you have obi drunk kenobi written (laughs) it's pretty damn close what was yours i want to hear it now obi-wan kenobi i mean zoltar says you can you can okay fair enough (laughs) At this point, Supergirl gets inspired and she remembers she can fly and she zips away just as Ethan crawls over to the orb with the statue cover because behind every successful female superhero is a landscaper admittedly undereducated poor landscaper (laughs) supergirl flies around selena really fast making a tornado vortex that whips selena into the air and because bianca's her friend she gets pulled in too and the power of shadow demon and everything gets sucked into this broken mirror which gets put back together through magic it doesn't matter you don't care when you're watching the movie and they're gone and i guess presumed dead 
I presume that they went to the Phantom Zone, maybe. I don't because know. Supergirl came out of that mirror when she busted out of the Phantom Zone. I, I mean, look, again, fan fiction. I'm just connecting dots where I can. But, I mean, who could possibly know, as I keep saying in this episode. And then Hart, uh, or Ethan, finds the Omega Hedron and hands it to Supergirl. And she's like, were you looking for this? And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what the whole movie was presumably about then jimmy olsen decides he's gonna get on on the uh statutory rape a little bit and uh decides he's gonna kiss lucy lane his co-worker's younger sister what the fuck that's gross <laughs> yeah for a number of reasons and then just everything zaps back to normal because i guess the magic is gone like there so we end up with this scene between ethan and supergirl where like you know she's like i gotta take this back to save like this is the first time that she pipes up about where she's like i gotta go save my civilization with this thing i almost forgot about all that because i was thinking about the big cock you got and (laughs) hart lochner displays what i can only describe as negative charisma in this scene where it's like your eyes just keep wanting to look away from him when he speaks <laughs> and then i like i had to rewind it a couple of times just to be like what are they talking about i can't even pay attention to this yeah he rubs her lip with his thumb as she closes her eyes in ecstasy it's it, it's really weird and then supergirl flies back to the pond into argo city and my exact notes are was that there the whole time? What the fuck? In movie roll credits. Right. It doesn't make sense. It, like, she never gets back and, like, has her family be like, thank God you brought this back. For all we know, she swims into a tomb. You know? like Right. <laughs> none of this makes sense. None of this matters. It is offensive that this movie would dare call itself a, a super person movie if there hadn't been Superman 3 just before it to really uh, let you know what was what was coming down the pipe. It is not good. It is a really watered down, incoherent, disjointed, poorly written, marginally well executed film. I mean, there are talented people in this movie. It's just not good. Yeah, it's a real stinker, but... It's one of those movies I can almost recommend if someone hasn't seen it, just because it is so bonkers. I would agree with that. Bo and Chad, two thumbs up. This movie is bonkers if you've never seen it. (laughs) Right. And then you'll see how terrible it is, and then you'll be angry at us for having told you to watch it. And then a couple of weeks, you'll laugh about something that you remember from this (laughs) stupid movie, and you'll be like, you know what? They were okay. So that's it. That is Supergirl. Coming up on our next episode will be the second time that we've ever done a sequel to a movie without having done the original first. The first being, of course, Wayne's World 2. Yes. Because we never talked we never talked about Wayne's World. But in this case, we're going to dive into the swamp <laughs> and addressed return of swamp thing which is arguably better than the original and oddly enough worse than the original at the exact same time yes it is like we were saying earlier you have to keep two diametrically opposed ideas in your head while watching return of swamp thing it is the most god-awful superhero movie that ever was it's also the greatest thing that ever happened to cinema it is so complicated (laughs) yeah i can't wait to talk about this there's 
There is a photography subplot that is maybe one of my favorite things ever. So join us next time as we dive into the swamp of Swamp Thing and wrestle with Return of Swamp Thing, the second episode of this season, Two Old Men and DC, where we are dealing with DC comic movies that have been brought to life through real life action. Bo, any final thoughts on Supergirl? Uh, You know, only that it is a a real, you got to see this thing if you never have, but also... I'm sorry. Agreed. So thank you so much. Like, rate, review. Let us know if you have thoughts. Send us an email. You can find us on all the social media. You know how the internet works. And uh, we will see you again in one week's time.